Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. It's our last week in Haggai, and we've been asking, how do we rebuild out of crisis? Uh, And over the last four weeks, we've looked at how we need to face up to the issue. What is the crisis? What has been going on? Dealing with what's in our hearts. We've looked at how we need to restore relationship uh, with our Father in Heaven. Last week, we looked at how we deal with disappointment that often comes out or after crisis. And today, we are finishing. And we're going to look at how you cannot save yourself. And it is the final step in rebuilding. The final step in realising that actually self-reliance is not the answer. A good work ethic is not the answer. We cannot save ourselves. So I'm going to read uh, a big chunk of Haggai, actually just from Haggai 2, uh, verse 10 to actually just verse 19. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, open your Bibles, go to Haggai. And uh, if not, I very kindly put it up on the screen for you, which is generous of me. Okay. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone is unclean by contact with a dead body, touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is, so is it with the people, and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were just ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were just 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blights, with mildew, with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider this from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Okay, so we're going to need to concentrate a little bit today, but that's good, so you'll be able to do it. Uh, There is quite a lot going on in this passage, uh, which is fascinating and I think is going to help us. Uh, And the primary thing for us to understand is you cannot save yourself. And so we're going to think about that. We're going to think about what can't you do? What can you do? And what does God do? And we're going to start, very helpfully, right in the middle of the passage. That's how we're going to start. Um, And it's because in this middle bit, Haggai paints a picture for Israel. He he paints this picture. 
picture of carrying meats and dead bodies and if the meat touches something or if the cloak you've been carrying it in touches something he's painting a picture for them to demonstrate the core of the problem that they they were up against to demonstrate what the real issue was and the only possible way for them to deal with it so let's start with that what can't you do So if we just read, he says, look, if you're carrying holy meats in the fold of the garments, if the priest is carrying holy meat, which he would maybe be taking from the altar or to the altar, and that garment then touches bread or wine or whatever, does it transfer holiness? That's what he's asking the priest. No, it doesn't transfer holiness. And then he says, okay, if somebody has touched a dead body and then touches any food stuff or maybe other people, does that transfer uncleanness or unholiness? And they say, well, yes, it does do that. It does transfer. Okay? And then he says, well, that's what it's like with you people, with this nation. Okay? Every work of your hand transfers unholiness. What they offer is unclean. Okay? All right. So let's take a few steps back. Okay? There is a dead body in their midst. That's what he is saying. Amongst you, this people of God's, right in the middle of you, there is a dead body. And dead bodies are grim. They're nasty, aren't they? They are grim. Uh, even animal dead bodies are a bit grim. Especially if you find one, you're not expecting it. When we first moved to Manchester about 12 years ago, we were looking around loads of houses to rent. We didn't know Manchester at all, so we were looking at houses everywhere. And uh, dozens and dozens of them. But one particular house stands out in my mind. The estate agent was showing us around, giving us all the blag that estate agents do. And then she opened the main bedroom door. Right in the middle of the bedroom floor was a dead bird. And we all looked at each other, closed the door, left the house. She didn't even ask us, do you want this place? Like, there is a dead bird here. Uh, And there's something awful about death, isn't there? And a dead body. Uh, And all of us just looked at it and thought, "We, we don't want anything to do with this house. Even a small dead bird is grim. Because we know it's, it's unclean, isn't it? You don't want to pick it up, it's nasty. It's probably got diseases in it. And we also know that life has left it. It's dead. There's nothing there at all. It's just a husk. It's nothing. It's rotting slowly. And it speaks of something to us, doesn't it? It speaks of something deeper and perhaps spiritual when we see something that is dead. We know it's not what it should be. And Haggai here is saying, look, this ruined temple, you remember we've talked about this every week, there is a ruined temple in the middle of Jerusalem. They've been building their own houses, building their own lives, ignoring the temple. And he's saying, that ruined temple, which is a picture of their relationship with God's, so you go to the temple to talk to God's, to make right for your sins, to spend time with him, uh, but it's ruined, so you can't do any of that. So the relationship with God is, is gone because they've worshipped other gods, because they've lived for themselves. He says, it's like a dead body is in the middle of your city, in the middle of your nation, in the middle of your spiritual life. There is a dead body there. And dead bodies for Israel, particularly in the the way that the Jewish belief works, makes them unclean. And unclean, to be considered unclean, means you cannot go into the presence of God. Okay, So if you touch a dead body, then before you could go to the temple, you have to go through all sorts of purification rites and washing and cleaning so that you can be considered clean and then can go into the temple. But he, God is saying, you are an unclean people. You are without God. Everything that you touch becomes unclean. Okay, becomes tainted by sin. 
So when we talk about sin, we are really saying, when you put something at the centre of your life that isn't God's, when you turn your back on God and you make your life about something else, worshipping something else, that is sin. And God was calling them to deal with this. Really, the smell of death was in their city, and they were choosing to ignore it. There's this dead body there, and they're choosing to ignore it. Now, about five or six hundred years later, uh, in, a, in a book called Romans, which is in our New Testament, uh, a guy called Paul, he actually wrote about death. He said, the wages of sin, so the payment for your sin, is death. So death is a big problem. And him saying, there is a dead body in your midst, is a big problem. So what could they do about this? How do you deal with the dead body in your midst? How do you deal with this, the, the state that the temple is in? This thing that makes them unclean. It makes everything they touch unclean. So they can't even say, oh, I've got these offerings, I will take these offerings to God. And God will say, well, you touched them, so they're now unclean, you can't offer that to me. So their sin, they're turning their back on God, they're living for themselves, they're putting other things at the centre of their lives, worshipping things that aren't God's, makes them unclean. Effectively, they cannot make God love them. That's the problem. Their behaviour won't save them. They could say, okay, we're just going to try really hard to be religious again. We'll go back to all the old laws, the old ways of doing things. We'll just concentrate really hard on that stuff and we will change our behaviour with good habits and concentration. Actually, all of that stuff is unclean because you touch it. So what can't you do? You cannot save yourself. So then God asks them another question. He says, okay, now then, okay, there's this dead body, but consider this, from this day onwards. He says, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? Effectively, before you started rebuilding the temple, rebuilding your relationship with God, how did, how did things work out for you? How did it go? Uh, and if we kept reading, it would say their crops failed, they didn't have enough to eat or drink, there was not enough money. He was saying, before you started rebuilding, you didn't have enough. So what we're not talking about here is God saying, you build the temple, I'm going to give you all the money you want. All the wine in the world, all of the food in the world. So this morning, if you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to become a Christian. I like money, I like wine, I can have all of that come to me. That's not what we're talking about. Actually, he's painting a picture again. This is a life without God. Now, if you think about it, if you don't have enough food or enough drink or enough money to buy those things, you will soon die. That's what he's saying. There is a desperation of life without God. He's saying death is amongst you. You are as good as dead unless something happens here. So, let's take another step back. So, we've seen what can't you do. You cannot save yourself. But what can you do? And actually, Haggai gives us some clues here. Some, some things. That, actually, there are some things that you can do. The very first verse says, on the 24th day of the ninth month. And we might read that and kind of skip through it, like you read some bits of the Old Testament and you think, I don't know what that means. Why is he telling me the date? I'm just going to fly through that bit and never think about it again. But actually, the date is really important. Because this date is two months after the previous prophetic word. So what we talked about last week, dealing with disappointment, all of that stuff, effectively, this preach, this prophetic word is two months later. 
And in that time, it is the time of year where you plough the fields and you put seeds in the ground. Very big job, very important job. So Haggai has waited. They have ploughed the fields, they've planted the seeds, then Haggai stands in front of them. And it's an important job to do that because you need to feed your family, don't you? You need to have food to eat. And you need to feed the whole nation as well. So putting seeds in the grounds is a very big moment. It's a very high tension moment as well. You can almost feel the nervousness of the nation. Because sometimes crops fail, don't they? Because of the weather, because of bugs, because of disease. I remember seeing a video of a a pastor uh, I know in Kenya. And he was just showing a video on his phone. These are the crops where the locusts have got to. A huge swarm of locusts. All the crops gone. That's a huge deal for that nation. Very big deal. So when the seeds are in the ground, you don't just kind of kick back and relax and think everything's going to be fine. You actually, you stare at the field and you think, are we going to have enough to eat? Are these crops going to work? So I very much have the mindset of a city dweller. So I don't think in these terms. I think when Tesco's open. That's all I think about crops in the fields. I stayed on a farm once for a holiday for a, as a kid, and it was awful. I just all I can I can remember the smell now. Not a nice. No, it's not for me. And I knew exactly. I want to live in towns and cities. That's where I want to live. Not in the countryside. But even in the modern world, with our technology, with our chemistry, with our machinery for farming, at some point. You put a seed in the ground and then you wait. And there is tension in that moment. There is hope and there is fear. All of those things. And Israel is now sitting in that tension. When Haggai stands up and says, it's the 24th day of the ninth month. They're not just chilling out waiting for the crops. They're worried. They're nervous. In fact, at the beginning of Haggai, God says to them, You have sown much, but harvested little. They have failed with their crops on any number of occasions. Now there is a call for us, CCM, to put seeds in the ground. Sounds strange, again, we're we're city dwellers, so we need to think about this. Um, But when we live our life, when we direct our life, at God's, when we have God's at the centre, when we worship Him, when we begin to rebuild the temple of relationship with God's, you put seeds in the grounds, you plant the fields. When we step out in faith, when we do like it says in Hebrews, we believe in the things that we cannot see. When we choose to make big lifestyle choices, actually I'm not going to live like that, I'm going to live like this to worship God. In all of those moments, we put seeds into the grounds. And actually Jesus said something very similar. He said, look, the kingdom of heaven, what's it like? It's like a grain of a mustard seed. A man took it and he sowed it in his fields. And it's the smallest of seeds, that's what Jesus says. But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and it becomes a tree. But when you still put it in the ground, it doesn't instantly become a tree, does it? You have to wait. You have to live in the tension of waiting for God. Now... uh, Me, Vic and the kids, we've planted a few churches in our time in Manchester and the bit that I hate most, and I do hate it, is the waiting. When you think, right, we started the church and now you just wait. And people are like, well, how do you make the church plant kind of grow? You're like, I don't know. We just wait. We wait for God. There's all sorts of stuff we can try and do and work on, but actually it's what God does that makes it grow. In fact, the Apostle Paul says something similar. He says, uh, one of us planted, 
did one of us watered but actually God makes this thing grow but it's a great place to live in that tension in that waiting because it makes us listen to the prophets the Haggai makes us read our Bibles because we want to see what God is doing it makes us pray and cry out to God when are you going to move when are you going to do stuff we have to trust in him in those moments And when he's talking about planting seeds, he's also talking about this temple. Because he's speaking on the day that the foundations were beginning. Where actually the crops are done and they're now building the foundation of the temple. And in that moment it's like they are planting a seed. It is a day of obedience to God. It's a day of trusting in him, saying, yes, God, we are going to rebuild the place where we get to meet with you. We're going to rebuild our relationship with you. We are now going to come before you, gods, and rebuild this temple as a picture of that. It's a day of great faith. So what can't we do? We cannot save ourselves. What can we do? We can take a seed and put it in the grounds and trust God's. And then what does God do? Verse 18, he says, Consider from this day onwards, again, it's the same day, 24th day of the ninth month. He's still talking. He says, Since the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Okay, so on this day, we've done this. We've begun the temple. And then he says, Is the seed yet in the barn? Which is a strange question to ask. What does he mean by that? Well, the seed is not in the barn. Why? Because they planted it. So he's saying, is the seed in the barn? And they're all like, no, we planted it. That's what we've just done. And he says, indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. So he's saying, the seed is not in the barn. It's in the ground, but we're waiting. The fig tree has not produced figs. The vine hasn't produced grapes. The pomegranate tree hasn't produced pomegranates. Those things haven't happened yet, but we are waiting. We wait in that tension. And actually, I think as a people group, we have learnt something about tension in the last 18 months, haven't we? About waiting in the moment. Even at the moment, as case rates are rising, hospitals are filling again, even though there's uh, lots of vaccines, which is wonderful, no one really knows what's going to happen next. We are now living without that sense of power and control that perhaps some of us are used to. Without that certainty of, oh, I know at this time of year this happens, because it happens every year. We know in September kids always go back to school. But actually that certainty of life has, has left us now, hasn't it? And crisis often feels like that. Crisis is often a removal of control because of lots of different things that are going on around us. Many times, actually, <clears throat> Vic and I have sat at our kitchen table and we have listened to people tell stories of their life, often crisis stories. Uh, and often when that's happened, they're, they're telling of their sense of helplessness that they felt in the crisis, even that they're feeling in that very moment, the removal of control from their life, all of those things that can happen. And they find themselves wondering what happens next in my life trying to make sense of it, trying to even find meaning in the crisis. And sometimes we have to say, I don't think there's any meaning. I think it's just awful and we'll just walk through it with you. Or maybe they're looking, there's got to be a shortcut, there's got to be a way out of this situation. And sometimes we have to say, I don't think there is, but we're just going to walk with it through you. Crisis can do that to you. Now actually our only option is to wait on God's. And Israel, at this moment we find them, are waiting. And God doesn't finish there. 
He says, but from this day, I will bless you. And he said, like, the tree has got no fruit on it. But from this day, I'm going to bless you. God promises to bless his people. Now we quoted from Romans earlier on when he said the wages, the payment for your sin, for worshipping things that aren't God's, the payment for that is death. If you do that, that is what's coming to you. But the rest of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the blessing. That's the huge promise that actually in Jesus, death is dealt with. The dead body that was in the centre of their city that was infecting all of them with sin and with the stench of death. Jesus deals with that. There's no death there anymore. Our sin, our worship of other things, our living for ourselves, no longer infects us. No longer infects the people around us. We know a lot about infection nowadays, don't we? We know a lot about our mobile phone pinging and saying, you might be infected. It has spread to you. Well, Jesus deals with that infection of death. He says, it doesn't spread to you anymore. I've dealt with that. You now have the free gift of eternal life. Death doesn't apply to you anymore. He takes the rotting corpse of your sin away. And in that moment, we are made holy. In that moment, we can approach God. We can go into his presence. We can live in his presence. He's pleased to see us. and We are not excluded. So our last lesson from Haggai on how to rebuild out of crisis is to know that we are called into the presence of God. And perhaps crisis helps us to see that. A guy turned up, I can't remember if I told you last week, a guy turned up at Kingsway, uh, the service there over, in, um, over the other side of the city, and he said, I watched the Ten Commandments on Netflix in lockdown, and uh, I've decided I need to find God. So Andy Brownlee's like, wow, okay. Uh, we sit, he sits down with him, they pray, and this guy's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to follow God now. Perhaps crisis helps you to see what's going on in your life. That actually you are distant from God's. Perhaps even that there is a dead body amongst you. You have no relationship with God. You think, actually, you know what? This needs to change. I need to redirect my life back to God's. And Jesus makes the way for us to do that. He walks into the city of Jerusalem, into the centre of our life. He takes the death away and instead there is him. We have him at the centre of our lives. So I want to pray for you. What I would like you to do is stand. Sonia, if you want to come back. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. As we've talked through this series... I've been very deliberately laying a challenge in front of all of us, really, to think, what is at the centre of my life? That's the big, big question. Uh, And sometimes it's easy for us to kind of go through life with an idea of what that might be. We can even kid ourselves about what what we think it might be, or we can do the opposite. We can beat ourselves up about it. Uh, And actually what crisis reveals, whether it's a pandemic crisis or relational crisis or financial or whatever it might be, often that pressure reveals what is truly in the centre, doesn't it? Truly the thing that we worship and run to. 
and the challenge for us is to be honest and say, okay, what is it? What really is it the centre? And then in that moment, God calls us to put him at the centre. And we can do that, not by effort, but because Jesus, a king of the universe, died so that we don't have to. And then came back to life to prove that death actually has no power anymore. Which is a good thing to think about when often we hear about death rates, don't we? Perhaps the only time in my whole life where every day we have an update on how many people died today. Death is very close all of a sudden. And actually, Jesus says, I'm going to give you eternal life. There'll be a new heaven and new earth and you will be with me in that place. And it's a call to follow him. So we're going to keep our eyes closed for a moment. I think sometimes in these moments, just to do a little thing to acknowledge, actually, you know what? I'm going to put Jesus at the centre again. And nobody's looking, apart from me. I'm going to look. My eyes are open. But the rest of you, got your eyes shut. Uh, if that is you, think, actually, you know what? I want to put Jesus at the centre. Maybe for the first time, I want to put him back. Just put up your hands now. Thank you. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? Some of you are thinking about all the things you've got going on and you're thinking, do I need to put another thing in the diary? Well, let's think relationship here. Presence of God. Being with him. Being able to approach and him approach us. Putting him back as the default position in our hearts.